Joseph Mendoz with another video for virtualsheetmusic.com. I hope all of you have enjoyed uh, my latest videos. Um, I really appreciate all the comments and I received a couple emails as well and I, I first of all want to apologize for not getting back to you yet. Um, I will reply to those uh, uh, very soon. It's uh, uh, my only excuse, it's a horrible one, but my only excuse is this is my busiest time of the year. Um, and I also have actually a faculty recital uh, here at the Colburn School coming up um, in uh, several weeks on May 1st and so I've been uh, very busy getting ready for that amongst uh, uh, my normal work schedule and everything. Uh, but I, I do uh, um, promise that I will get to those very soon. Um, anyway, today I wanted to go over a, um, a just an interesting bow exercise um, that I don't think I went over in the um, uh, in the video about, uh, well, I think I've done a couple videos about the bow. I think one on the bow hold and another one on um, the um, uh, uses of the bow and, and, and kind of more general things. Um, today I'd like to talk about really um, uh, an, another way to think about how to sustain your sound and another kind of little useful trick um, uh, to help you to sustain your, to sustain your sound. It, there's a very simple exercise. Uh, that you can do either on open strings or on uh, with a scale, however really you, you choose to do it. And it's just a very simple bow division exercise. Now I imagine most of you have done this kind of bow division exercise before, so this may be not new to some of you. Uh, so I don't, uh, um, uh, I, I preface this by saying that this is nothing novel or, or anything that I've really come up with. Um, the, the, the thing I do find is that when people do this is they do it uh, uh, maybe not quite paying attention to enough details and they don't really get the full benefit. Uh, so it's a basic bow division exercise and it goes like this. You just start off playing an open string or again you can do this on a scale. You divide the bow in half and you stop the bow right at the halfway point um, and then you go all the way to the tip and you stop the bow again. And then when you restart the bow in each of these spots you want to make sure that you're able to get the same attack. Now you, you can kind of see how I'm wiggling the bow around on the string a little bit. I'm making sure that the bow is really, really firmly attached to the string before I go, so that I get that nice, clear beginning. I want to make sure I get that really clear grab every single time I start the bow. So that's in half, then you divide it into quarters and you do the same thing. Um, and you can kind of see where this is going. But you divide it into quarters making sure that in each part of the bow you can stop the bow and re-grip each time and then you divide it into eight parts again trying to get the equal accents every single time you move the bow see sometimes we do this and it sounds a little it sounds great there, but then as we go further, it gets softer and more and more fluffy. So really this ability to stop the bow at any spot, especially with the eight, and get that same attack is really important. And then of course you move on to 16, and then the ultimate challenge is 32, um, which uh, probably some of you want me to demonstrate, but, <laughs> um, well, okay, maybe I'll give it a try. Here's, uh, well, let me do 16 first. Sixteen in one, and then thirty-two in one. You see, I struggled a little bit at the end there, so I got to practice this. But anyway, that's the basic idea. I know you can do that with a scale. 
the different scales um, and w with, with any kind of division uh, that, that you care to do. I think this is actually very critical, um, the ability to do this um, and to do it well um, and to make sure that you can get that articulation anywhere in the bow. Um, uh, and this is also a good way to practice uh, any sort of up bow or, or down bow on the string staccato strokes that you need to do in, in quick succession uh, because that's essentially what, what this ability is. It's the ability to really control from the hand. Oh, that's what I didn't do actually. Sorry, let me, I'm doing this backwards. I should have started with, with, with this concept first. First of all, um, my idea is, is, is that really the, the, the power um, that you're getting to kind of generate enough torque to grip the string in that way to to create that sound, uh, that, that uh, uh, um, little bit of a bite at the beginning of the sound. That's coming from really this, and I may have demonstrated that um, in, in a past video, but it really is coming from that. So your thumb is here and your index finger is there. You see, so if you play with kind of your index finger more on the top, you're going to have a lot less power um, because you're only able to kind of press down from this top joint. You don't have as much power coming up from the thumb. But if you're here, you see now, now you can turn the bow and you can, you can kind of see it. I'm struggling to hold it with my other hand because there's so much power there. Um, and I'm really able to get, get then a lot of power if I'm staying in that position. Uh, so I don't know if you can also see this or not. You can, um, if I hold this up uh, close enough or with the right angle, I don't know if you can kind of see this little a divot that's in the side of my finger here. I imagine some of you have this. Uh, let me see if I can put it. Yeah, there you go. Now I think you can see it. Uh, that's from me being exactly on the side of the stick, not being really here, but being here. And you also notice that it gets my arm into a really good position as well, where my shoulder is not, you know, too too high or things aren't kind of, you know, too too slunky and too low here. Uh, slunky, I'm not sure that's a word. But anyway, it really helps to get the whole arm position in the, right, uh, in, in the right position without really having to think too hard about it if you're there. Now once you're there, you can, you can easily do that exercise. Whereas if you're more here, and with holding the bow, you know, with the, with the bow a little bit further back in the hand, like I, I, see, I see sometimes, it's, it's not impossible, but it's really, really hard to get a lot of power. If you're here, suddenly you're able to get as much, as much power as you're going to need. Uh, so anyway, um, I just wanted to mention one more thing. Uh, I know today was about maybe two different things. I also wanted to talk just a, a minute about end pin length. Um, uh, I, I mentioned this maybe briefly in my video on sitting, um, but uh, um, if, if any of you have any questions about end pin length, um, uh, the, the most important thing I think to, to understand um, about the end pin um, is to understand that the, the reason why it, it came about. Um, the reason why it came about um, was uh, largely for reasons supposedly of sound and comfort. I'm less of a believer actually that it makes a huge difference in terms of the, 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 the sound of the cello. I know that's maybe an unorthodox uh, uh, opinion, um, but uh, considering so many of the 19th century cellists, some of them used end pins, some of them didn't. Um, the end pin, uh, I think the first person really to use the end pin was Servet, uh, 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 um, uh, I think he was Belgian, was he Belgian? I think he was a, 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 a Belgian cellist um, uh, who became quite famous actually for using the end pin. Um, and it, it uh, not every cellist, uh, in fact, the famous, uh, both famous cellists, David Popper and Alfredo Piatti, both did not use end pins. Um, and Popper was uh, supposedly known for a very, a very large sound, um, as was uh, 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 some other cellists like Robert Hausman, who was Brahms's favorite cellist, did not use an end pin. Um, 
anyway, so the end pin really is more for, um, I think, is more for the comfort of the player and maybe a little bit for, for power, uh, but not a tremendous amount, not a tremendous difference. Anyway, you can experiment with this uh, by uh, just taking your end pin out, just, you know, like this, just completely out, um, and trying to hold the cello. Uh, just, uh, you can't really see this, um, but I'm, I'm actually holding it just between my legs and I'm letting it rest. And there's not a significant lack of power in the instrument at all. Now, you can try this to kind of gauge to see actually where you think your end pin should be. Because for me, that position of holding it between the legs is actually, uh, uh, instead of uh, have it resting on the end pin, is actually not so uncomfortable of, of, of a position. I could see myself sitting like that, uh, like current, you know, uh, uh, modern-day Baroque cellists do. Um, but then you want to take your end pin and kind of adjust it so that really the cello just kind of feels the same. Um, and I want you to experiment with this. I know some of you like to have your end pins way up here, and of course some people use the, the bent end pin and are way up here. Um, but if you've always struggled with these kinds of things, uh, then, um, then, then please try this method. Just take the end pin completely out, hold it, but rest it right between your legs, and kind of lightly grip it there and play for a little bit and see if you don't notice uh, any, any sort of freedom or, or, or kind of a natural uh, feeling about it and then just simply extend your end pin to that length. It, you might find that it's shorter um, than, than what you're normally used to um, but uh, give it a shot and see if you like it. Uh, so once again this has been Joseph Endos uh, for virtualsheetmusic.com. I really hope you enjoyed this video. I know it was way 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 all over the place. We talked about the bow and also a little bit about the end pin and sitting. Um, but uh, anyway, uh, I hope you benefit from this, and please leave uh, comments down below. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube um, uh, and you leave comments on YouTube, I will not see those comments, so please uh, go to the virtualsheetmusic.com website, uh, uh, which should be somewhere on this page if you're watching it on YouTube, and leave comments on that website. Um, uh, that way I can respond to them and uh, can answer all of your questions. So thanks again. This has been Joseph Mendoz for virtualsheetmusic.com.